All right, we are in our series, Gospel Pathway, Learning to Walk in Newness of Life. And when we think of uh, the gospel, it is at the center of all that we do, and we want to understand the gospel. Sometimes people think they understand the gospel, and they really don't understand the gospel. So we want to really understand the gospel, but we don't want to just understand the gospel. We want to live the gospel. We want to apply the gospel to our lives. We want to walk in newness of life, which is promised us in scripture. So this is kind of uh, the goal that we're set out to in this series. And we've looked at how God is the prize. We've looked at how sin is the problem. We looked at how Jesus is the answer. And today we're going to look at how faith is the response. We're going to talk about faith. And faith is a big deal because all this good news that we talked about last week, being redeemed, being justified, being sanctified, having our sins taken away, being reconciled back to God, all of that is received through faith, right? If you think of the famous uh, Bible verse, John 3, 16, right? It's for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So what does it mean to believe in him? We can think we know what it means to believe in him, but what does the scripture tell us it means to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to receive Jesus? And we're in a, we're we're in church now, so I'm going to guess that there's a lot of people in this room that would say, yeah, I received Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I have faith, but here's kind of the unsettling news to kind of start off our time together. So that's how we like to start, right? Uh, let, Let this sit in a little bit. There is a type of faith in Jesus that doesn't save you. There is a type of faith in Jesus that doesn't save you. You think, what? I mean, you look at examples in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking about the day when he returns and and makes all things new and the judgment is happening. And there's going to be people on that day that say to him, Lord, Lord. And they start listing a resume. Haven't we done this? Haven't we done this? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. But they say to Jesus, Lord, Lord. They call Jesus Lord. He's like, no. Or in James chapter 2, James is talking about a kind of faith that is dead. It's like, you got faith. It's just dead. It's not producing anything. It's not alive. You have a type of faith, but that type of faith doesn't save you. It's a dead faith. And in that chapter, in James chapter 2, he also kind of affirms right doctrine not being enough because he says that you believe God is one, like you're monotheistic in that context. It'd be like, okay, you're on the right track here. God is one. He's saying, good. Even the demons believe that. So it's like you're on the same par with the demons. As in demons have really good doctrine. In fact, there's times in in Jesus' ministry where he would come across a demon-possessed person and the demon would express or rightly acknowledge Jesus, calling him the Holy One of God. They'd get that right, but it's not a faith that saves you. So if there is a type of faith in Jesus that doesn't save you, what, what, what is the type of faith in Jesus that does save you? What, what does faith look like through which we receive forgiveness of sins and our salvation? And I think it seems like faith among good church-going people, even if you've gone to church your whole life, faith can be a very misunderstood thing. I, I think that in our effort of getting people saved, we've lost what it means to be saved. What it means to have genuine faith. Like what is genuine, real saving faith look like? We try to try to boil it down. We try to simplify it with good motives. We try to capture it. You know, if you just pray this prayer, 
If you just say these words, but there is no example in all of Scripture of any time anybody saying a prayer to become a Christian. It's like, that's your story. Like, I said this prayer. Or make a decision. I was at camp, and we had a good speaker, and he called anybody who wanted to follow Jesus to come forward, and I came forward. But does that make you a Christian? Does that capture saving faith? So I want to try to ask and attempt to answer two questions this morning. One, what is saving faith? And two, where does it come from? What is saving faith? And two, where does it come from? And we're going to look at a lot of passages this morning. Um, there's, there's a lot we're not looking at. Like instead, I'm just like, oh, I want to go there. I want to go there. And I want to show them this passage. But we're going to do a lot of passages, more than normal, because I want us to see how what we're learning here, it's all over in Scripture. Like it's all over in Scripture. All of Scripture uh, united teaches this, and it's connected in its thoughts. So we're going to look at a handful of different passages. And to answer our first question of what is saving faith, we're going to take a big kind of broad look at the whole book of John, the Gospel of John. Because um, John has a, a unique goal connected to our belief that we want to understand. So at the end of the book of John, uh, he, he says this. He says, but these are written, he's talking about all that he's written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So at the end of his letter, he's kind of saying, I wrote all these things to you about Jesus because I want you to believe in Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus, you're going to have life. Like, this is my goal. This is why I'm telling you this. He kind of comes right out at the end of his letter and says it. Well, at the beginning of his gospel, he says this in chapter 1. He, talking about Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So at the beginning of the Gospel of John, you get this amazing promise. To all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he is given the right to become children of God. And then at the end of the Gospel, he's saying, I'm telling you these things about Jesus so that you believe in him. And in believing in him, you'd have life. So the Gospel of John is kind of bookend with this promise to, to, about belief and, and being saved through that belief. And then this at the end saying, I'm just I want you to believe and I want you to find life in that. So if that's his goal, kind of his thesis, why he writes, we need to ask the question, what does John mean by believe and receive Jesus? Is he, if he's saying, if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. If you receive Jesus, you get the right to be called children of God. I'm writing these things so that you do believe Well, then we've got to ask, well, what does John mean when he talks about believing in Jesus? Now, it's interesting. John, in his gospel, never uses the noun for belief or faith. But he uses the verb believing or receiving 98 times on purpose. Because he's trying to make a point. And what he's saying is faith, real faith, is, is deeper than just agreeing with some prepositional statements. It's deeper than just I'm a sinner. Jesus is a savior. I agree with that. Check. And maybe that's what you've reduced it down to. You've reduced it down to just kind of agreeing with some doctrinal statements. And you're missing it. You're missing it. You're not experiencing newness of life that the scripture talks about. Now, you may be thinking... Well, I did pray a prayer with my mom when I was eight, and that's how I became a Christian. Or I was at camp, and that speaker called me, and I did come forward, and that's how I became a Christian. Right now you're wondering, like, am I really a Christian? 
Well, one, I don't think that's necessarily a bad question for you to wrestle with. Am I really a follower of Jesus? Because we're called to have faith in Jesus, not faith in your prayer or not faith in your decision. Faith in Jesus. But when we talk about faith, my goal is not to complicate it or to confuse you. My, my goal is to clarify it. What is saving faith? In Scripture, what does it mean in the Bible to have saving faith? What is it and what isn't it? So when we look at John and we know his goal, his aim is that you would believe and that in believing you would have life. Well, then what does he mean? What does John mean by receiving Jesus, by believing in Jesus? And who does John present Jesus to us as to receive? Because there's a lot of wrong ways to receive Jesus. I mean, you could receive Jesus as just a great teacher, which he was, great teacher, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty much everybody likes that one. That's good. He's caught on. That's a great teaching. You could receive Jesus as a revolutionary leader. I mean, he lived over 2,000 years ago, and he still has followers. That's in the good leader category, right? He's a good leader. You could receive him as a ticket to heaven, Maybe an unwanted necessity. Like, I want to go to heaven, right? I don't want to go to hell, and I need Jesus. Oh, you know, that's how I receive him. You could receive him as a bad boss. Like, he's Lord. I admit it. I get it right. But I really don't like any of his laws and his commandments, but I don't want to go to hell, so I got to do it. The problem is, that's not who Jesus is. It's certainly not who John presents Jesus as for us to receive. So... When we do this flyover on the book of John to help us understand, because, John, you tell us that anyone who receives Jesus, who believes in his name, gets the right to be called children of God. And you unfold your gospel, and you get to the end, and you say, I've, everything I've told you, I've told you this, so you would believe, and in believing, you'd have life. So what's John trying to tell us when it comes to receiving Jesus and believing in Jesus? And right off the bat in the book of John, he comes out of the gate swinging, with some really bold statements about Jesus. Verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. He's talking about Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So he started, let me tell you about Jesus. This is how he comes out of the gate. He's in the beginning. He's life. He's light. And then right away in chapter 1, we get introduced to John the Baptist. Not, John the Baptist didn't write the gospel. John, Jesus' disciple John wrote it. But John the Baptist was a character right away who kind of came before Jesus, paving the way, getting, making the way straight or ready for Jesus. And what John the Baptist says about Jesus right in chapter 1 is this is a guy that I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. When he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because this, this is a sacrifice that's going to take away our sins. He talks about the Spirit descending upon him, calls him the Son of God. In chapter 2, Jesus is turning water into wine. And then in chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a religious leader, Nicodemus, kind of schooling him on what's right and what's not, telling him, like, you got to be born again. And if you're not born again, there's no way you're seeing the kingdom of God. He's teaching him new things. He's teaching with authority. And then you get into chapter 4, and Jesus has this encounter with the woman at the well. 
And he asks her for a drink of water. And she's like, you, a Jew, is asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of the well? And Jesus says, well, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. And that's the point. <laughs> who are you? Who are you, Jesus, that we should be asking you for water? Because he's saying, hey, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. And I got living water. It'd be like a fountain in your heart. You'd never have to come back to this well again. You'd never thirst again. So who, who are you, Jesus? John, or who are you presenting Jesus as that we should go to him for water? To be satisfied or thirst, to believe and to receive. And as John begins to kind of work through his gospel with this aim of telling you things so that you would believe and in believing have life, you get these seven I am statements in the gospel of John. They're just seven statements that Jesus makes about himself. And this is, this is the Jesus that John is presenting us to us, to believe in, to receive. So these seven I am statements, he he says that uh, I am the true vine. He's talking about the vine and branches and bearing fruit. It's like, if you want a fruitful life, if you want to bear fruit, if you want joy, you need to be connected to me. Like I'm the vine, I'm, I'm the life giver. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Like, I'm that way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says that he is the resurrection. I am the resurrection in life. The situation where his friend Lazarus died, he shows up late, raises him from the dead. He's like, hey, I'm the resurrection. He's like, I know he'll raise from the dead someday. No, no, no. I'm the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me live and never die. And even if they die, they live. He says that he is the door of the sheep or the gate for the sheep. Basically what he's saying is, hey, if you want to find green pastures, then you got to go through me. Like going through me is where you you find green pastures in your life. He says that he's the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. He says that he's the light of the world. Anyone who does not believe in him walks in darkness. Whoever does believe in him has the light of life. He said, there's no other light in this world except me. And if you want to walk in light, it's me. And outside of me, darkness. And then he says, I am the bread of life. Anybody that's hungry, you come to me to be satisfied. So John says at the beginning of his gospel, hey, anyone who receives him, anyone who believes in his name, he will give the right to become children of God. And then he goes on to give us all these pictures of who Jesus is. He's bread. He's light. He's a vine. He's the door. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's like a poetic imagery of like, I'm trying to help you understand who Jesus is so that you receive him for who he is, so that you believe in him for who he is. Like this is, this is what I'm trying to unpack. Like this is the, the, the Jesus John is presenting to us to receive, to believe in. Believe that he is bread that's going to satisfy your hunger. Believe that he's the light of your life. Believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. Believe he's the resurrection. Believe these things. This is who he's presenting Jesus as. So you can think of it like this. Saving faith is about receiving Jesus for who he is, not who you want him to be. Not who you want him to be. For example, you take one of those I am statements when he says, I am the bread of life. Here's the situation behind that statement. You guys are probably familiar with this story, uh, but Jesus was teaching to a large crowd. 
And they were leaning in. They loved what he had to say. They were there. They were following him. But it was getting late into the night. Um, or starting to, starting to turn into evening. It's like, we can't send these people away. They got no food. But they found one boy who had two loaves of barley and some fish. And he's like, all right, have them sit down in groups. And he miraculously feeds all of them. He multiplies the bread to feed, the bread and the fish to feed this crowd. When that happens, now they're really into Jesus, okay? You get fed like that. They're, they're pro-Jesus at this point. They're followers of Jesus. In fact, the next day when they're like, where'd he go? To the other side of the sea. Like, let's follow him there. They go across the sea to keep following him. Like, they're very pro-Jesus. But as John kind of shows us, as he's talking about faith and what real faith is, he also, in his gospel, shows us what, what fake faith is or unsaving faith is. Because they wanted to receive Jesus as a provider, but not a savior. Now, give, give us more bread, Jesus. That, like, do, do that again. Like, we're hungry. Come, come fix our problems. But Jesus didn't come to give bread. He came to be bread. He came to be bread. So, so they're begging, like, we want more bread. And Jesus, in Jesus' fashion, is like, okay, you want some more bread? I'll give you some more bread. Me. You got to eat my flesh. You got to drink my blood. And they're kind of like, I think we lost our appetite. <laughs> All right? And you chuckle because you can relate to that. Like, I don't, I don't get that, Jesus. I don't understand that. But here's the thing. If you ever have somebody miraculously multiply bread to feed 5,000 people, whatever he says next, I'd lean into. But they're like, I don't know if I can handle that. And John is demonstrating us kind of a, an unsaving faith in these type of people. There, there was a type of receiving Jesus that was exposed as false because they weren't receiving him for who he was, but for who they wanted him to be. I just want you another meal from you, Jesus. I just want more bread. I just want you to fix my problems. I'm hungry today. Solve these problems. And that's a wrong or unsaving way to receive Jesus. Because he's so much more than that. Jesus, just, just fix my marriage. Just help me kick this bad habit. Just get me out of debt. Just get me a new job, Jesus. J- Jesus, just... Just be a loving God who affirms every decision that I make. He's saying, that's a wrong, that's not, that's not who he is. That's a false way to receive Jesus. He's so much more than that. Like, you, you, don't, you don't know who he is. There's another uh, example John gives us of a wrong kind of belief in Jesus. This is in John chapter 12. He said this, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. What did they do? They believed in him. There it is right there. They believed in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So John is like, let me show you another kind of unsaving faith. You had a group of people, they believed in Jesus, but they didn't love him. They didn't treasure him. They didn't treasure him more than they treasured the glory of man. They didn't treasure him enough like, I love you, Jesus, but, but, but you're, not, you're not worth kind of you know, getting outcast. I love you, Jesus, but I don't love you more than I love fitting in. I love you, Jesus, but I don't love you more than my membership at the synagogue. I love you, Jesus, but I don't love you more than my social status. And John's pointing out this is not the type of receiving that John's talking about. John's talking about, this is the bread of life. You live in water. 
He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the true vine. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And, and you would rather have everyone else's approval than him? Oh, I don't think you're getting it. I think we're just... <laughs> you're not receiving the Jesus I'm talking about. And you contrast this situation with what happens right before with Mary anointing Jesus by breaking this expensive bottle of perfume all over him. And, and John is showing us Here's what faith looks like. Here's what treasuring Jesus looks like. Here's what receiving Jesus as the resurrection of life looks like. And here's what it doesn't look like. Here's a false view of faith. Here's a real view of faith. And he's showing these contrasts. You, You can think of it like this. Saving faith is treasuring Jesus. Saving faith is treasuring Jesus. And you might be like, if you've been around for the last three or four weeks, I think I'm seeing a pattern here. Um, Because we start out saying God's the prize, right? The best part of the good news is not forgiveness of sins. It's not eternal life. It's God that we get reconciled back to our maker. And then the next week we said sin's the problem. And we looked into that. We said our sin is a lot deeper than just lying or being greedy or self-centered or insecure. At the root of our sin is we don't treasure God like we should. In fact, we treasure other things more than God that leads to our lying and our greed and all kinds of things. Like that, that's our real problem. And then last week we looked at Jesus, the answer. But Jesus being the answer is so much more than just forgiving us of our sins. He makes us new. He takes out a heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh that will love God. And now faith is loving God. It's treasuring God. It's the expression of treasuring Jesus. And I think we tend to miss that. I say we as church people. I think church people tend to miss that. And, and here's why. I think, I think we tend to miss it because we make salvation all about eternal life and not about reconciliation. We tend to make salvation all about eternal life and not about reconciliation. But in 2 Corinthians 5, as Paul says, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of eternal life. Ministry of reconciliation, that we'd be reconciled back to God, that God's the prize. That's what it's all about. But we make it all about eternal life. We make it all about living forever. We treat eternal life as the prize. But listen to me, church. Everybody lives forever somewhere. Everybody lives forever somewhere. In Scripture, it's not like some people get eternal life and some people don't get eternal life. The question is, will you have eternal life with God? Will you enjoy his glory forever? That's the question. Let let me let me put something to your way, and it's gonna it's gonna seem a bit provocative that you're gonna have to think on for a while, but but here's the statement I want you to wrestle with. Believing in Jesus for eternal life is different than believing in Jesus as eternal life. You track with me? Believing in Jesus for eternal life is different than than believing in Jesus as eternal life. Or maybe a better way to say it is, we can't just believe in Jesus for eternal life. We also need to believe in Jesus as eternal life. And the reason I say that is, he's not the means to an end. Like, he's the end. He's the goal. God's the prize, and Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the way, and he's the truth, and he's the life. He's the good shepherd. He's the true vine. He's the bread of life. It's him, like he's the prize. Here's how 
uh, John puts it in 1 John. He says, this is, this is in chapter 5. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in the Son, or in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Like that, That's what it means to have life, to have the Son. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Don't treat Jesus as a means to the end. He treats him as the end. He's the prize. He's the life. And just to kind of rabbit trail a little bit, church, we're a next generation church, and I think this is one of the biggest problems for not reaching the next generation. We don't present Jesus as someone to be treasured. We just present him as an obligation for eternal life. Do you want to go to heaven when you die? All right, well, then you need Jesus. He's just like a passport. Like, you want to get into that country, you need your passport. But who loves their passport? I mean, you even know where your passport is right now. You can't even, you're not even allowed to smile in your picture. It's not a passport. That's not, we shouldn't treat Jesus that way. That I just need him to get there. We, we present eternal life as the prize. Right? You want to go to heaven? Well, then you need Jesus. Like he's this obligation. Who's going to want that? Right? You talk to a generation who's looking for joy and fulfillment and contentment. It's like, you love life? You want to keep the party going? Well, then you need Jesus. Instead of, no, Jesus is the party. That's where you find joy and fulfillment and belonging and life. Like real life in Jesus. He's not presented that way. But saving faith is treasuring Jesus. It's seeing all your thirst, being satisfied in Jesus. And you got thirst. I have thirst. We thirst for belonging. We thirst for fulfillment. We thirst for value. We thirst for joy. Saving faith is Jesus. That's where I'm going to satisfy that thirst. In fact, I think one of the clearest passages that point to this is in Matthew 13. This is Jesus talking. He says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He's saying, it's talking about the kingdom of heaven, but to believe in the kingdom of heaven, to have faith. What does it look like? He said, that's what it looks like. You find a treasure unexpected, right? Because who would expect to find a treasure in a carpenter's son from Nazareth? Oh, but when you do... You lose your life to find it. You, you'll, you'll throw everything away for him. And he's saying, that's what it looks like. That's what faith looks like. That you'd give everything else up in joy. Not an obligation, but in joy because you found something better than everything that you have. So let me ask you this, church. Is that you? Is that you? And my question is not, do you believe you're a sinner and do you believe that Jesus is a savior? My question is, is that you? Do you love Jesus? Do you treasure Jesus? And how does that become you? How how does that become your spouse? How does that become your kids? Where, Where does faith like that come from? Turn over to Romans chapter 10. This is a familiar passage. Let me start in verse 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Good news, amen? amen. And you're like, okay, why does he specify believing in your heart? 
Why, why, is he, why does he draw that out? Why not like believe in your spleen? Or why you got to believe that really in your spine? You know, like it doesn't. Why is he drawing out that you need to believe in your heart? Because the heart was where you housed your affections and your values. He's saying you need to love and treasure Jesus. That's what saving faith looks like. He says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that good news? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what does it mean to call? What does it mean to believe? If this is so true, how do we lay hold of that? He goes on, he says, How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So it is what he's saying. He's kind of following some logic here. All right, being saved is connected to calling. I've got to call out to God to be saved. And our God is full of grace and mercy, eager to save. But... But you've got to call for him to be saved. And, and calling is connected to believing. Like at first you have to believe in God's character that he will save you and his power to save you. And how can you believe that unless you hear? So believing is connected to hearing. Right? You've got to hear something. But you can't hear something unless no one's saying something. So hearing is connected to preaching. right? But preaching, you don't come up with this message on your own. So preaching is connected to being sent. And just like the Father sent the Son to proclaim the gospel, Jesus sends his followers to continue to spread the gospel. And Paul kind of doubles down or clarifies his point in verse 17. He says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So there you go. There you have it. Where does this faith come from? It comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Or what Paul's kind of saying is, hey, here's my experience. I go into a town. I start preaching the gospel People hear what I'm saying, and they believe. It's crazy, right? Not everybody. Some people throw rocks at my head. I've been put in jail. I've been chased out of town. But some people, like their lives are changed. They treasure Jesus so much so that they'll die for Jesus. They'll be thrown in jail for Jesus. They lose their, their family disowns them for Jesus. Like it's this miracle. I see it happen. Like every time I go, I preach the gospel. This is, what, this is what's going on. Now, you can't read what he's saying in verse 10 without hearing it through what he's already said in chapter 1. In chapter 1 of Romans, he kind of sets the tone. In one sixteen. he says this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So what Paul is saying is, yeah, I go into town and I preach the gospel and they hear what I preach and they believe. And what I'm concluding that that is, is the power of God. It's the power of God at work that's causing belief in people that I preach to. You you can think of it like this. Saving faith or this treasuring of Jesus comes by a work of God through the word of God. Comes by a work of God through the word of God. Paul's like, I preach and I watch the miracle. I preach the gospel and I watch the miracle. So you're like, so what do we do? We preach. We open the Bible. We teach the Bible. When you're at home, talk about the gospel. When you're at work, talk about the gospel. God works giving out faith through the proclamation of his word. He's saying God's up to something or it's God's power at work when God's word is proclaimed. In fact, uh, this is how Peter puts it. Just so you think we're not making it up. Let's go to 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 23, he says, Since you have been born again, you've been born again, how? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding what? Word of God. It's the Word of God that has given you new life. How do you get this born again new life? The Word of God. So if you go back to John chapter 3 and Jesus is having that conversation with Nicodemus, he's like, you're never going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. How does that happen? Why do we got to be born again? Because a few chapters before that, John, you said anyone who receives Jesus, who believes in his name, gets the right to be called children of God. So do you have to believe and receive him or do you got to be born again? What is it? You betcha. It's the same. It's like you have faith, you believe, you are born again. It's new life in in Christ. He's talking about the same thing. And you get born again. How? Through the living word of God. Through the living word of God, you get born again. In fact, in chapter 1 of Peter, verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's a work of God. Through his word that he gives you new life. And this is where it comes full circle. Because how do we know we've been born again? How do we know we have saving faith? We'll go down to verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Well, what is it? Is it believe in him or is it love him? Yes. They're both, it's the same thing. To believe in him is to love him. To love him is to believe in him. Saving faith is treasuring Jesus. And treasuring Jesus is a work of God through the word of God. And how many people do we know that claim, I I believe in Jesus, but they don't love him. They don't worship him. They don't long to obey him. Even if it's a struggle, they don't want it. They just don't want to go to hell. But church, who wants to go to hell? Nobody wants to go to hell. You don't need to be born again to not want to go to hell. But you do need to be born again to love Jesus. And that's the work of God in your life through his word. You know, if we really want to understand what's happening in belief, we need to understand what's happening in unbelief. Let's go back to our passage in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, in their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So here's what's going on in unbelief. People are blinded from seeing how awesome Jesus is, the treasure that Jesus is, the glory of Jesus. So what happens in belief? God opens people's eyes to see how awesome Jesus is, how precious Jesus is, how worthy of worship Jesus is, the glory of Jesus. Do you see it? Do you see it? I, I want to I invite you to receive Jesus. Let, let's go old school. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand. But I do want to invite you to receive Jesus. But listen carefully. I do not want to invite you to receive Jesus for just somebody who's going to help fix your marriage. Or for somebody who's just going to help get you out of debt. Or for somebody who's just going to help you kick that bad habit. Or even for somebody who's just going to help you live forever. I want to invite you to receive Jesus for who he is. Your soul satisfier. 
the one who will satisfy every thirst that you have. Thirst for belonging, thirst for value, thirst for joy, it's in Jesus. I want you to receive him for who he is, the true vine that will give you life. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. I invite you to receive Jesus as your most precious treasure. And all who believe in him will have life. All who receive him for who he is and believe in him for who he is are given the right to become children of God. Let's pray. Father, as a church, we cry out to you that we love you. We love you. We love Jesus. But we also confess and know that the only reason we can say that is because you first loved us. You loved us when we were not loving you. And you, you demonstrate your love for us by sending Christ to the cross. And even now, as we fail in loving you as we should, the cross continues to cry out. But I still love you. We pray for your spirit to open our eyes to see how precious you are, that you're so much better than the things we tend to chase. And I pray what would be true of us as a people is that we would treasure Jesus. It would be evident that it is our saving faith, that it is a work of you in our life, that you open our eyes to see the light of the gospel that is the glory of Christ, and we'd be willing to sell everything else for Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.